Hello, ladies and gentlemen, one and all. Maybe children, but I doubt it. Welcome to the latest uh, edition of The Media Beat. We're on to number eight now. And as usual, we should be talking all things media with two, and I think I'm not making them too modest when I say leading experts in media, uh, global leading experts in media. Uh, Maureen Kerr, who heads up the global media practice at Arthur D. Little, a management consultancy. She advises companies on media strategy and also um, investment funds on how to invest in all things media. And Claire Tavernier, her longtime associate uh, and becoming associate of mine, I think, who is also a media commentator, but has also had roles both as a consultant and in-house in various media firms, both great and small. It's always a pleasure to say hi. Normally I say hi to Maureen first, so I'm going to say hi to Claire first. Hello, Claire. How are you? Hi, Oliver. I'm very well. How are you? Uh, awesome. Looking forward to the weekend. And Maureen, hello. How are you? Hello. I am fine. Thank you, Oliver. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. That's the energy we love. That was, um, that was for the children out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Auntie Maureen is fine. Yeah. Uh, for the children out there. Yes, it's uh, it's going to be an absolute... Um, going to be an absolute winner with the under 15s um just to talk a little bit about in the preamble about what we're going to cover um interesting things happening in the advertising world with apple um some novel technical innovations that we're going to talk about at disney uh tf1 m6 the trouble they have run into in their merger this is a big story in france which of course claire uh, uh, resides and comes from. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, fashion and viewing cycles and what people watch and how they watch it and how that changes over time. And finally, a new section, which I'm very excited about, which we're going to call rumours, which is uh, things that are being talked about in the media, may or may not happen, that both Maureen and Claire will uh, no doubt have an opinion on. So a fairly packed agenda, as always. Let's crack on. Um, Maureen, can you just explain to me the um, Apple story? that uh, that you've you've picked out and um and the advertising element that might now come into apple broadcasting yeah thanks oliver yeah it, it, the news broke actually in uh, the financial times and it was uh, really intriguing um and we've heard over you know the last sort of five six seven years uh you know apple uh, uh you know dabbling its uh, little toes in um in advertising and, and really hadn't really made much ground, uh, particularly in, a, in, a, in an environment and a market where, you know, Google has something like, you know, 200, I know something, 200 and change billion, and Meta, Facebook has about 115, uh, and Apple only sort of sitting there with about 5 billion of online advertising. It, it's just interesting that um, I think I think what, what they're trying to do is, one, the trigger was the fact that on LinkedIn, you see a doubling of uh, roles being created for Apple's online advertising unit, uh, which is which is interesting, interesting to note. Uh, uh, but you also, you know, put that in the context of uh, over the last couple of years and then more recently last year, when Apple has put in its strict privacy rules to really hobble uh, its competitors. So, 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 so it's really in a strong position uh, to to basically disadvantage 
the likes of Meta and Google and really hone in on uh, a platform for you know good advertising. So I, I'm just staggered by it. I think it's I think it's smart. Some may call it Machiavellian. Uh, others may call it uh, just a decent and smart move, you know. Um, but yeah, that's the news this week uh, on Apple. Um, you know, others may be a bit cynical to say, oh, they've tried it before. But frankly, I think they're in a really strong position to, I think the numbers out there are to grow from 5 billion to 30 billion. Still smallish, but nonetheless quite significant. And it could overtake some of the more disadvantaged players. Uh, that are currently uh, in the ad market, but yeah, could that's you, that's the news. Yeah, could you just explain to me in layman's terms what what, what the advantage Apple has over Meta and Google? So effectively, if you can appreciate how many iPhones and iTunes uh, it, 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 it has a direct relationship with a customer base, it has been for the last year or so been nudging us as users and customers to say hey, I am going to tell you that there's somebody hovering around the internet. I'm trying to be a lay, lay, lay person like here. Hovering over the internet, offering you free services uh, in order to capture you and your activity. And then behind the scenes, selling that data, selling that information on you as a customer uh, to others in terms of uh, brands and, and, and whatnot. So, 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 so effectively... That is what's happening, and that's what's been happening. And Google uh, has really ruffled the feathers, in particular, of Mark Zuckerberg uh, by by basically putting up this these notices by almost banning, you know, uh, uh, platforms uh, on on the devices on the platforms jet more broadly uh, to say and notifying customers that you need to check out of this. People are you, know, you need to figure out again your privacy settings. Uh, and you need to figure out and understand exactly what people are doing with your data, with your mm. information, with your customer details. So that's effectively what I mean by disadvantaged. Uh, and that's what I effectively has been going on for the last year or so. Uh, and, and that's what puts, I think, Apple in a really open and transparent position with its customer base to then itself be open and transparent about what he can sell, what it can sell to uh, its own customers. That makes that's a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah I, I like I like the way that one person's Machiavellian is other person's good business. But I suppose we have um, we have uh, tied our, uh, our our careers to the master of private enterprise, Maureen. So uh, I don't suppose we can be surprised when uh, large corporations make that. Yeah, sorry. Can I add can I, can I add another point to that? Because I I I use the word Machiavellian uh, only in uh, the context of it could be viewed as that. However, however, for the last eight to ten years. Uh, what's known as surveillance capitalism, which is effectively <laughs> offering Excellent. offering us offering us for free services, while in the background, folks have been using our data to sell on and monetize and capitalize on it. So, 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 I will retract that Machiavellian uh, um, uh, connotation uh, to Apple because I think I think it's not doing that effectively what it is doing though is being open and transparent others may call it that but I don't think that's what's happening got it I understand back sorry to you, I, thank you <laughs> thank you very much back to me uh, I, I hear you loud and clear we probably don't need to say over and out um, so Claire what's your take on what Maureen has very very clearly explained on this new move by Apple 
It's a very interesting move. I think the way it's been reported is slightly misleading in that people are talking about Google and Facebook as the direct competitors of Apple. And if I had to bet on Apple becoming a strong competitor to Google and Facebook outside of their platforms, I wouldn't bet on them. But what Apple, the strategy of Apple, and not unlike the strategy of Amazon, has been to, to prioritize on-platform activities uh, rather than off-platform activities. I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. First thing to note is in the US, for instance, Apple has a almost a 50% market share in terms of mobile phones or smartphones. It's enormous. And so whatever Apple does on their mobile phones, irrespective of what everybody else does, is going to have a huge impact on the market. And that's really what they're talking about, at least at the moment. What they're talking about is doing is increasing what they're already doing, which is advertising on the app store. So you can pay to get your app promoted on the app store, and that and you know that that's currently the core of their of their advertising revenues. Now, of course, Apple has very successfully created a content revenue, which was a surprise to me because most of the tech giants who have doubled in content dip their toes in content, have suffered from it. But Apple has actually managed to build a significant content revenue that's just won a bunch of Emmys. So it's, it's doing really well. And so they may choose to also start uh, selling ads around their content. But again, this is all happening on the platform rather than what I mean by off-platform for Google and Facebook is Google and Facebook manage the advertising inventory for a lot of other people on a lot of other sites. I'm not seeing Apple do that at the moment. I'm seeing them saying, I, we have a very significant captive audience of smartphone users. And while being transparent and positioning ourselves at the more, more open end of the, of the market, we are probably able to sell them a bunch of stuff. Uh, and I think if you look at it that way, I'm much more optimistic about it. My first reaction when I, when I read the headlines of, you know, Apple competing against Google and, and Facebook was, the same as you, Maureen, which is they have such, um, uh, they're so ahead of, of Apple, they have such a lock on the market that it would be very, very difficult for Apple to move in. But that's not what they're doing, actually. They are, again, they're doing what Amazon is doing. Amazon is selling ad space, promoted space on Amazon.co.uk or Amazon.com to try and, you know, that's, that's the on-platform revenues that they're generating. And Apple has the same advantage as Amazon in terms of reach. It's interesting, isn't it? It's come. It's a real theme of um, the discussions that we've had. Is that the power is the data, which is what you were saying, Maureen. And you're reiterating, Claire, all this stuff. You know about fifty percent of the population. Uh, it's extraordinary, isn't it? And it's funny that you talk about openness as well, uh, Maureen. So is that deliberate? Is it deliberate on the part of Apple to be open about what it's doing so that it comes across as the good guy, uh, where Google has a bit of a reputation about being a little bit about sneaky about how it gathers your info? What do you think? Um, I think I think Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg have been, um, they're not the best of friends, you know, whereas uh, Steve Jobs was almost mentor to Mark Zuckerberg. So you could... You can interpret it however which way you'd like to write an article. So you could say this is uh, this is this is customer-led uh, initiative, uh, basically saying, look, you know, you really do need to take control of what your information that you 
like your activities, the data, you know, that companies hold on you, you need to take control of that. So you can see that as the good citizen that, that Tim Cook and Apple is trying to, you know, uh, put itself up there as. Or, or you could say that they're being very commercially minded and they have a different way of doing business and they and they uh, and they are effectively saying, look at what your our competitors are doing. Isn't that wrong? <laughs> you know, right. and therefore and therefore, you know, that's wrong. Uh, and, and we can do it uh, in a more open and transparent way. So so it really it's a it's a PR thing. It's a PR thing. It's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, it, it does fall into though uh, some regulations and of course some very strict regulations and laws around privacy uh, that California has issued, and uh, as well as you know the whole European GDPR. So they, you know they're playing within uh, cleverly within the sort of the realms of good regulation and good customer thinking and good protections around customers, uh, but at the same time also being rather smart and clever about highlighting highlighting uh, how its competitive set uh, ought to be doing things a bit better, if I can put it in those terms. Yeah, the sort of implication is that this is how we're going to do stuff. Uh, What does that say about our competitors? Sorry, Claire, carry on. Yes, I was going to say there's also a sort of complete, there's a a fundamental difference to those two businesses. Uh, Apple has built its entire business on the basis that people will pay for their stuff, you know, and they do. But they pay premium. They pay, you know, I said they have 50% of the market. Their phones are the most expensive on the market. It's not normally the people who, you know, are the most expensive that get that much of a share of market. They've never or very rarely offered uh, a free product. It's not something they're interested in. They're not interested in offering their products on other people's platforms. It took them years to get make iTunes available on on non-Apple phones and non-Apple platforms, for instance. Uh, And um, whereas Google's entire philosophy is to say, we will give you stuff for free. We will get, you know, this is the surveillance economic that, that, that Maureen was mentioning. But at the end of the day, what Google is saying is it's going to be free for you. You get to have the best search engine in the world and we're not making you pay for it. You get to do this and this and this and you, we, we will give it to you for free. We still need to make money. So there will be ads. And it's almost, you know, in, in TV, in TV, uh, terms it's the difference between a free channel that's supported by advertising and netflix they're just a well the the old netflix the one that didn't have advertising uh they all it's a very fundamental difference in their in the way they go to market and i think we're we're seeing this as well happening just so that i know as an apple phone user like uh, a lot of people listening to this will be what does it what what will it mean to me as a user well i try (laughs) i'll be scrolling through facebook and an ad will come up from uh, the operating system saying hey buy this soap no 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 it's for uh, claire yeah because you mentioned it earlier so do you want to do you want to take it on again yeah for the developers yeah it's for the developers. It's going to be primarily on the App Store. It's already on the App Store, to be honest. There are already well, yeah. promoted apps on the App Store. Uh, but they want to, uh, to increase that. And I think perhaps next step, the logical next, two logical next steps would be on the Game Center, whatever it's called, uh, and on their, uh, their video content. But that would be it. 
certainly I don't, I haven't seen anything that makes me think that it would go beyond that. I mean, that's already huge. You know, if they manage to uh, to really sell all the inventory around these three platforms and they have their fitness platform as well, which I guess could also carry some advertising. So, it, you know, it's basically all their content plays that would, that would yeah. uh, potentially carry advertising rather than anything um, beyond that, anything platform-like. Uh, that's a relief. And if Apple, for example, happens to buy Peloton, you know, uh, that will be another opportunity for it to, you know, funnel, funnel the advertising um, uh, brand campaigns into that community. So it's oh, you can really see the match there. Apple, the Apple user and the Pel iPhone user and the Peloton user, very closely uh, psychologically matched. It's very expensive, uh, but it looks really super cool, and everything's integrated. And um, with a little gadget, you can turn the TV around and do your yoga, as my wife does with her Peloton, which I can see just behind me. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's a great chat. Let's move. Let's move on to a media company doing something um, enterprising from a technological. Uh, perspective um disney uh, and their uh, ar short film so augmented reality short film um which uh i believe brie larson stars in um i can't remember what it's called remembering i think you said uh, the, the name was maureen i don't know if you've seen it um i'm slightly cynical about any entertainment that needs equipment for you to put on your head but then again that doesn't stop gamers getting themselves into their own little uh, ar universe um tell us a little bit more in about about remembering and and how that's going to take off and how inconvenient is it going to be to watch these things yeah so so this again was another announcement this week and i and i and i just think it's a fantastic move uh i i i i will i will um i will be absolutely open and candid i still haven't uh, watched it yet but I plan to this weekend so uh, <laughs> I hope I hope and maybe, maybe Claire has I don't know uh, but yeah this is great and and uh, it's it, it is announced uh, that it was announced this week it's only eight minutes uh, and it, it's got a fantastic filmmaker Elijah Allen Blitz um, and as I say I think they've probably got the timing right you know because they know that people don't want to be so immerse immersive um, immersive tendencies are are short and sharp and sweet, in, in my view. Um, so yeah, I know I think it's a brilliant idea uh, that they've come up with uh, with this. It's it's going to be free for Disney Plus subscribers, um, and it will be I think technically effectively you'll use a QR code, you use a second device uh, or like an iPad or, uh, or 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 your iPhone, um, and that will be your uh, uh, lens in which you start to operate the um, additional information, immersive information uh, uh, forms part of the film. Uh, now, I'm, I'm talking theoretically as opposed to, you know, me actually having watched it. Uh, so I might be able to uh, say more about this next week in terms of an experience. But I do think it's a significant move. I think it's, uh, I think it's great to see a, a Disney sort of going down this area um, because AR and VR, you know, they, they, they peaked early a few years back. Uh, I remember going through... You know, Mipcom, Can, IBC, with all the headsets and, you know, uh, all, all manner of things that uh, in order to experience something which is 30 seconds and I was overwhelmed. Uh, so so let's see how this pans out. But no, I, th I, th I think it's a good, a good, uh, a good first move. And sorry, do you need to wear something on your head? No, you don't. 
No, 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 you don't. You, 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 it's, you basically, it's AR, not VR, right? So what it is, is you're watching the movie on your TV, and then you also have your iPhone or iPad, and it's only on iOS, open on the app. And you can, if you watch through the app, things happen on the TV screen that you, so, you know, you'll see a waterfall burst out of the TV screen if you watch it through your phone. So all you need is a phone uh, and the TV. You need both of these two screens. Um, I think it's uh, uh, definitely moving away from those things, those headsets, because the conclusion of most people, including gamers, is it's a bit of a faff and you keep you keep knocking yourself against the walls and uh, it doesn't really work as well as you think it's going to work. I mean, I've, I've tried it and it was fun for 15 minutes and then I just got bored with it. So I think you'll still have, you'll always have hardcore gamers that vote for it. But I do think in terms of mass, mass take people are seeing that's not where it's going. AR is very different. AR only requires you to have a phone or and a TV, or it could be a cinema screen. And obviously you're able then to do lots of interesting things. This is still very, uh, the, 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 I haven't watched it, but I've read about it. So it's almost the same. Uh, this is still fairly early AR in that you can't interact with any of the augmented reality features. Uh, and it, they don't last very long. So I think there's about a minute of augmented reality on, on the, on the eight minute of film. So it's very, very, early days. I think for Disney, it's a test to see what they could do with animation. And you could see how this could be a really interesting add-on to their animation proposals. So I, I think that's what they're thinking of. This isn't necessarily, I mean, I don't know, right, but this isn't necessarily uh, uh, for the next Avatar, because I think what they really want people to do with Avatar is watch it on a big on a big cinema screen and not really watch it through the lens of your mobile phone. But if you had, uh, you know, the next Mulan or the next Moana, and and kids could watch it in a linear fashion, but also get extra content by watching it through a phone or an iPad, which most kids have access to, that could be a really interesting, fun, differentiating factor that could mean that people could watch the same content over and over again, which they do already for, for Disney content. But, you know, there would be another reason uh, I could see. And, you know, obviously you could start developing merchandise, you know, around it, products, toys, blah, 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 which I could, I could see that as an end game. So seen like this, it's a really interesting experiment. I agree. But it's very early days. Uh, and it's only eight minutes and it remains to be seen how long you are willing to sit holding your phone pointing at the TV. It's, it's better than a headset, but it's still not the most, the smoothest experience in terms of viewers. It kind of reminds me of 3D, 3D yeah. TV. Yes. We actually bought one, which is more expensive. And we, uh, my wife liked watching Wimbledon, the men's final, because you've got an incredible view of Rafa Nadal's three-dimensionally rendered Boom, which I mean is spectacular. There's no doubt about it. And it was but it wasn't quite worth it just for that. I mean I, I would I would definitely buy a three D TV for that. I'm gonna say it like anything. I must say <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was incredibly impressive uh, without going into too much more detail, which I of course I could. Um but that 
didn't really take off as well. People thought it was just a pain even to put specs on. But you do wonder. So I suppose it's a case of cost benefit, isn't it? If the benefit is such a super duper immersive experience, you're going to be bothered to hold the mobile phone up. If it's just a little bit of a gimmick, then then you're not. Time will tell. Yeah, I still I still think it's very early days and hasn't really been proven yet. But I see this as a much more likely scenario than anything headset related in the long term, to, or certainly in the medium term. Cool. Maureen, anything to add or should we uh, move to France now for our next piece? I think I'd love to. I'd love to move to France because I can't get this image of uh, out of my head of uh, Nadal's posterior in three D. So, uh, and would you want to? He's I mean, also, and he's also a very, very, an incredibly talented uh, tennis player. I'm saying oh, this so that we don't objectify Nadal too much. He's absolutely brilliant, but also, you know, very athletic to look at. Uh, also, if you want another image in your head. You may have to cut this, Oliver. Yeah, if you want another image in your head, you could think about uh, President Macron discovering Greggs in London. Uh, just to transition, <laughs> transition into the French, uh, the French market. I don't know if you've seen this self, the selfie of President Macron in front of a Greggs, where there is, as always, at ATM at Greggs, a line of about twenty people waiting for their sausage roll, and he just looks completely befuddled. Oh, right. What are they I thought you were going doing? to say you can see him tucking in. There's a, a <laughs> no. TikTok of him tuck, tucking into a, a beef slice uh, no. or, or, or the legendary sausage roll. The vegan sausage rolls at Greg's, I can report, as someone who's recently taken up vegetarianism, are quite oh, revolting. So, um, oh. again, we might have to cut that, but I will, uh, I'll keep it on record anyway, just in case. Um, but that's, that's good to know that your uh, president has taste. I can just see that. The... Um, uh, yeah. So uh, talking of France, um, listeners may not be aware, uh, I, I wasn't, of course, uh, of TF1 and M6, those two uh, institutions which will tell us about um, Claire and the failed merger and the interesting nuance as to why uh, there is some some presumably challenge to that failed merger from the senior representatives of TF1 and M6. Could you just actually very quickly explain the situation, Claire? Yes, well, TF1 and M6 are the two largest um, um, linear commercial linear broadcasters in the in France. TF1 originally was like BBC One, the first channel. It got privatized in the mid eighties uh, and has dominated the the um, broadcast the, the commercial broadcast landscape in France in the way that ITV dominated in the in in the UK, if you want. And uh, M6 was the sort of new kid on the block, although it's been going going on for 30, 35 years now, so not so new anymore, and did really, really well in you know, uh, creating a, a competitor. And so between those two, they, are, they control 70% of the TV advertising market in, the, in France, which is huge. I mean, every, the rest is you know, cable channels, et cetera, but 70% is shared between TF1 and, MCs. and I should say that the public channels also carry advertising, but it's quite small. And they, um, uh, M6 is owned by Bertelsmann, uh, of course, the big German media group. And uh, TF1 is owned by Bouygues, which is a French, um, big French infrastructure group. And they announced a few months ago that they were, it was a big announcement in France that they were going to try to merge. That was quite strong. I mean, I'm trying to think of 
an, an, an equivalent announcement. It would be, it would be, I guess, Sky and ITV merging. That's that's sort of how big it would have been in in terms of the the announcement in France. And obviously, the uh, competition regulator said, uh, hmm, "Really? I don't know about that. Let's just have a look." And it went through the normal checks and. It, they genuinely thought, obviously, otherwise they wouldn't have announced it. They genuinely thought they could make it through the checks and get, and their argument was, yes, we represent 70% of the TV advertising market, but that's completely, re that's reducing the challenge because really the advertising market now is much larger than that. Most of it is online. That's the fastest growing area and we need to be bigger in order. And this is a big argument in France in order to be able to compete, to compete against a big American Uh, Apple, Facebook, Google, Amazon, we need one very, very strong local national player. And that could be us if we could merge. And the competition authority uh, went through it and said, no. Well, they said you can merge, but you'd have to sell one of the main channels. They all have like this. They have a bunch of other smaller channels. They, they, they said you could merge if you want, but you would have to sell one of the two big channels, which takes the whole logic of the merger away. And so they last week announced that they were abandoning the project of the merger, but they were very um, scathing about it. And so the, their point is very much that the, the, the French authorities do not understand how global the market has become and how difficult it is for local players to fight against the, the those big global players that are coming into the market and that they've, they've taken a very short-sighted decision. The uh, French government and the authorities have said, well, yes, but there are rules and those rules say that it's not good for a market to be over-dominated by one you know, sales house and we will respect the rules. So, yes, it was a big... It was a very interesting one. It was uh, obviously very bad news for both partners, but I think probably even more so for Bertelsmann, who also owns RTL in Germany. And I think was if this had been successful, was going to use this as a precedent to try to start engineering a merger between RTL and Pozibenzeitlines, which is the other the, the other two biggest commercial broadcasters in Germany. And Germany would have been a tougher nut to crack, uh, but potentially uh, a huge benefit. So I think it's it's bad news for Bertelsmann, and it's I don't know whether it's good or bad news for for the for the local markets, but it's going to make their lives more difficult for sure. It's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because it's like how how big is the playing field that we're playing on? It was very obvious up until a few years ago, and now the playing field might have got bigger. In that case, we are too instead of being two enormous fish in a little pond, we're now medium-sized fish in an absolutely enormous pond, and we're fighting with things bigger than us. Maureen, what's your take on this it's sort of a bit difficult to know on which side to which side to fall do you have a do you have an opinion obviously you do <laughs> uh, uh, yeah and I, and, uh, and and i too was uh, was quite dismayed when i saw the result in fact uh, i was sitting on a train uh, going all the way to kent and uh, and the news broke and claire sent me a text this is like 7 p.m paris time and she said Maureen, Maureen, look, look, look. How on a Friday night, this? way to bury the story. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so no, I think, I, in, in all seriousness, and it, and, it, and, it, and it was interesting timing to make that announcement. But, uh, uh, but, 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 but there are two implications, I think, two major implications of this. And the one is uh, to bring it back locally, to bring it back home. So, uh, I mean, this will have implications on potentially 
the UK government's privatization of Channel 4 and who the potential buyers are, because I think, you know, as, as Claire alluded to, and as uh, Oliver, as you've just mentioned, uh, it's all about definition of the market that you're playing in. So, yeah, 70 percent dominance of a small pond is really trivial when you're in open seas, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and we definitely are, you know, because we've got all the major tech companies that are are, are in, as we were uh, talking about earlier, you know, uh, in, the, in the advertising market and and as we've seen, you know, um, the digital advertising market has overtaken, you know, what we know as commercial TV uh, um, uh, advertising spend. So, uh, yeah, I think it has major implications and everybody's been waiting to, to see uh, how this merger, uh, you know, would uh, would come about. Of course, it's failed. Uh, and as Thomas Raab, the CEO of, um, of Bertelsmann, came out and said almost immediately, this is profound. This is profound. So, uh, yeah, I think it does have implications for all the other uh, major uh, European broadcast markets. Um, and then the second thing is, um, and again, it's something that Thomas Raab has to deal with quite quite quickly. Uh, and that is, uh, there is a, I think it's this year, this year, uh, the renewal of the 10-year license to operate in France as a, as a broadcaster for M6 is up for is up for renewal so he's either going to have to say all right fair cop i've got to just bunker down hunger down uh for for another 10 years or 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 or, or continue with the sales process now that's a different logic to what was seen as a very smart commercial uh you know putting two great companies together in order to defend themselves against the big international players. Uh, there's no need to sell M6, you know, on its own as a standalone. Of course, this week, you know, they have had an enormous amount of inbounds to acquire M6 because it's a fantastic business, uh, you know, but but they're going to have to seriously think, uh, the Bertelsmann board would have to sit down and seriously think about, you know, what do they do? Do they stay for the 10-year uh, hole or do they, they basically sell it? And they're going to have to sell it quickly if that is the case. So, no, I think it's profound. I think it's absolutely profound. Yeah, is there a possibility that it's just sort of the last, the, the last knockings of a, an old regulation um, kind of process, which will eventually have to um, sign up to the new world, um, or is it something that'll have repercussions for a long time? To unpack that, yeah, to unpack that because I think there are two things going on actually. There's the there's the regulation and how you sell uh, spectrum or broadcast. If that's what you're referring to, uh, and then there's the uh, then there's the um, the way the commission authorities in the local market start to think about uh, a definition of 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 of, of their markets. Um, and now, in any acquisition, you know where there is seen to be a just slight dominance, you know, and, and, and using that word dominance just triggers a whole host of you know, uh, issues and controversies. I mean, if, you know, sometimes even competitors start to complain to the commissions, uh, to the competitor CMA in the UK, to the uh, Competition and Markets Authority, um, uh, that, that, that I think there's a good check and balance. So that authority does exist for good reason. Uh, but, but but it's about, it's about lobbying. It's about, you know, really helping the CMA teams or the equivalents um, to, to, to understand all the trends in, in the markets and how, you should be thinking about, you know, uh, 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 you know, the definition, the role of online advertising and advertising on linear, you know, and and you know, and, and not to not. I love lawyers, you know, and understand law myself, but 
uh, a lot of people sitting in the CMA and these authorities are lawyers uh, and they may not necessarily totally understand the commercial realities of these businesses they need to they need to have the resources to 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 really help define the markets you know um, that's the role of consultants you see to to, to help uh. I think it's also I mean it's it's definitely an example of the legal framework struggling to keep up with the technology development. And we've seen that in, in lots of other places, music being an, an obvious one. Uh, but uh, yes, the, but on the other hand, playing devil's advocate or, you know, <laughs> defending slightly, well, there are a couple of things there, defending the, the competition authority it would have created an imbalance. It would have been a very, very dominant position in France for the next few years, potentially not forever, probably not forever, most, almost certainly not forever because of the, the arrival of the Americans. But still, tomorrow, had they approved it, tomorrow there would have been one player who owned 70% of the TV advertising market in France, and that's their role, their job, is to prevent that from happening. So, you know, it's it's... What I find surprising is that it went that far and then pulled out that suddenly. And I think that, as you said it more, in these discussions with competition authorities are all about negotiating, lobbying, you know, side conversations, and something must have gone wrong somewhere. Somebody called their bluff, don't know what happened, but it was the way it unfolded felt uh, very jarring. Because you know there, there's this. This doesn't happen like that normally. Does it, you know there isn't a seven p.m. That's why I was. That's why I texted you. It was such a a, a weird way of announcing the the end of that merger. You normally try to find other ways to do it, to save face, to manage shareholders, etc. This was very much a statement that they made after what must have been a very very unsuccessful round of negotiations with the competition authority. I suppose as a regulator, it's a bad look if you allow something to go through, which looks like you're allowing two um, two organisations that dominate an industry by 70% to 30%. It's not a very good look for the regulator to allow that happen to, I suppose, even in a changing world, which is, of course, changing because people are consuming media in a different way and in different ways, both in terms of how it's delivered and what device through which it's delivered. In fact, um, uh, in our next episode, we're going to be looking at some reports which show some very interesting things by demographic, by age group, um, about how people are consuming uh, their goodies. Um, some of those things in those reports are very surprising. Um, there, there are these strange fashion uh, cycles going on about not only how people consume, but what they consume. Uh, and uh, the big budget drama has been the thing uh, recently. And yet it would seem from talking to you guys that even the consumption of big budget drama has changed or is changing or there are cycles of it it goes up and down uh, and of course in the area of factual entertainment let's just start with um, big budget drama and claire this is this is possibly your your area um could you explain a little bit well about what's meant by the phrase and how um the viewers are consuming it in different ways or how these cycles are working in in the big budget space I mean, there is a sort of received wisdom uh, that I've heard uh, explained several times in, in television habits that there are cycles of, there are fashions 
uh, of of content. So at some point, everybody's watching drama and comedy, script, what we call scripted, so stuff with the script and actors. And then there's another cycle, and it's all about entertainment shows. So you know, Idol, Pop Idol, X Factor, MasterChef, etc. And then the cycle reverses, and everyone's watching scripted again. And it seems that you know, if you think about uh, uh, the uh, the 80s, there was a lot of entertainment and unscripted shows. Then there were the there was a big push for very um, you know the, the sort of NBC era of ER, Cheers, ER, Friends, uh, NYPD, the, the beginning of Law and Order, etc. There was this this moment where everybody was watching, you know, big episode episodic American scripted fair and then in the sort of early 2000s there was a complete reversal and everybody went to entertainment and this was the area of millionaire who wants to be a millionaire big brother pop idol you know and um survivor etc etc and 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 now we're back to oh it's all about scripted nobody's really watching any of these entertainment shows game shows aren't doing very well you know the big singing competitions are sort of on their last legs and but these things are cyclical and there has been, because people get bored with stuff and they want something slightly different and they've been watching scripted content now for a very long time. And if we, if we take Game of Thrones as a sort of, you know, that's it's 10 years now that we've been watching Game of Thrones in one form or another and people are going to, you know, maybe it's time for something else. And what we've seen in the last few years is really, the, the the beginning of a trend for new entertainment shows and specifically factual entertainment. Now, factual entertainment are these shows that are sort of half documentary, half entertainment. The, the first generation of them, uh, you may remember shows like Super Nanny or Wife Swap or How Clean Is Your House or this sort of shows. Uh, or in fact, farmer wants a wife, uh, and those are you know they're sort of there's some semi documentary in the way that they're making because they're with real people. There's usually a host who has some sort of skill or personality, but they are also meant to be entertaining. They're, they're very they're format, so you know they always follow more or less the same structure, and, and they also can be made in lots of countries. So Super Nanny typically was made in. I don't know, 10, 15 countries. So it was Wife Swap. There was Changing Rooms was probably one of the very early ones. So we were a lot of makeover shows. Think makeover. And we're seeing a return of this. In some ways, Bake Off, the success of Bake Off over the last few years was heralding the return to this. Bake Off is a sort of factual entertainment slash entertainment show. Uh, we've just heard that Farmer Wants a Wife has been acquired. The format has been acquired by the US and they're going to remake it, which I think is hilarious. I'm just wondering, maybe will, there'll be cowboys. Cowboys Wants a Wife. I don't know. Uh, but uh, it's interesting because that was a format that was very much made in the early 2000s. It did very, very well. It did quite well in the UK. It did very well in Europe. Never, I don't think it was ever made in the US at the time. But, it's, but clearly... Um, the US networks are looking for that time of, type of content. And it may be, it could be that we've hit peak big drama. It is not impossible to think that actually we are all a bit dramaed out and we want something else and something different. And we're just about ready for something that is slightly uh, less intense and more entertaining and that will bring us back to the world of entertainment, which of course never completely went away. These You have to see this cycle as what's dominant in a, in a, in a moment, not necessarily, it doesn't mean that there was 
no entertainment, and there's been some successful entertainment shows during that time, but they just weren't dominant in terms of viewing habits. So that's all. The question is, are we starting a new cycle where there'll be a bit less drama and a bit more entertainment? And frankly, I'm ready for it. Just a quick question, uh, Claire, on that. Is there also an, an economic element as well? I'm assuming that quiz shows are fairly cheap. Reality shows may be a bit more expensive, but the drama is the most expensive. So is there economics clearly comes into it as well? Yes, although, to be honest, we the budgets that we're talking about now are so ridiculous anyway that we've sort of lost the touch with any economic... I mean, the sort of money that we're talking about for... It is possible that when you start looking at House of Dragon or uh, The Rings of Power, those are the two biggest dramas out there now, and the, the budgets are so enormous that they, you know some people may be thinking, I can't compete with that, especially on linear channels. Can maybe thinking there is I well I'm not going to spend that kind of money so I might as well do something completely different that people may be ready for. We've also seen a bit of a resurgence of the sitcom, and I think you're right; it's the same sort of angle. And those mostly happen on on linear broadcasters, not not yet on cable. Although Netflix has dipped its toe into um, into entertainment formats in the past, and it's definitely something that they're looking at doing more of. And um, Maureen, what's your take? Do, do you see it as a set of cycles or do you see one particular format dying, such as um, I've Got a Nice Voice or Britain's Got a Voice or those kind of shows which just seem to be um, going over their peak? Is that part of a cycle for you or um, are we seeing death knell of some kind of formats? No, I think I'd have to agree with uh, Claire wholeheartedly because I think, you know, Claire and I, when we were at Fremantle, uh, that's exactly what we were doing. We were looking at trends <laughs> uh, and, and, you, and, and you saw those cycles. So um, uh, no, what I would say, though, is that I, I wouldn't say that there is a strong correlation between economic uh, situations and, and how we consume certain types of uh, media programming from high-end drama to uh, you know, unscripted reality shows, but that, that, that there's some, there's some correlation. Um, and, and I think there is, and certainly as we enter, you know, stronger economic headwinds, we've got fiscal belt tightening, you know, we've got uh, everyone having an eye on the cost of production. Uh, and only because, you know, certain number, of, and there's a polarisation as well, certain number of the shows uh, where spend is uh, uh, channeled towards have been, uh, you know, high, high, high value with very few shows. So uh, overall, I don't think the spend has reduced overall across all streaming and broadcasters. Uh, but nonetheless, it's 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 allocated and distributed in a certain way where certainly high end shows have taken the lion's share of that. So if you look at unscripted, you know, you're looking at, you know, say like 200k per app versus, you know, uh, uh, these current shows, which is like 30 million an ep, or The Crown, which was which was really had set a precedent for 10 million. And that was a quite quite a few years ago. So so I think I think I think I think, yeah, I, I would agree with everything that Claire has said. It does go in cycles. There is a fashion element of it. We do get bored. We want something different. Uh, but also there's the cost of that production. And I think there is a correlation. And I, I'm not saying we're going into recession no real evidence of that yet, but but belts, you know, we need to hash, you know, batten down the hatches, and we are, you know, belt tightening slightly, and I think that's when we start to see you know, slightly lower cost of production, and those type of shows are on the unscripted. 
I suppose there is slight evidence of a uh, recession in that the Bank of England uh, said yesterday that we might be in one. So um, maybe this is a little whisper, <laughs> more than more than more than. It's whisper. a rumor. Um, it's, it's a rumor, yeah, yeah. and it depends on depends on definition. If we, it, yeah, if we are uh, as a, as a new treasurer says uh, uh, as well that uh, you know it, 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 officially a recession is two 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 quarters. We're down on two quarters, uh, yeah. uh, but then it's what type of recession we're in, and I think I was staying quite high level in terms of saying what 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 type of recession is it? Is it poor? Is it push? in terms of uh, economic issues that we are facing. Um, just uh, doing a little bit of research uh, on uh, Farmer Wants a Wife, which sounds like very high-quality television. It seems to have been produced by a company called Fremantle. And there seems to yep. be an association uh, between both you, uh, Maureen, and you, Claire, with this um, organisation. In fact, it seems that, Claire, you had a very senior role within Fremantle. I just wonder, is there any connection well, between uh, 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 you two and uh, this, this piece of um, landmark television? Uh, Maureen also had a very senior role at Fremantle, uh, not directly, but I, a very good friend of mine, an ex-colleague at, of, at Fremantle, uh, was one of the two creators of the show, which actually came from a newspaper article, funnily enough, that was published, I think, I want to say, in Farmers Weekly, or both in Farmers Weekly and a, a ladies' magazine of some kind. And the, the point was this, was farmers looking for wives and, you know, looking, going into the city and looking for wives. And the, the, that, was, that was the genesis of the, of the idea of the format. But then, obviously, it became a format, which means it was, as I said, it's, it's got a structure and beats and everything. But it, it's, uh, it, it was actually not that successful in the UK. I think it only ran for two seasons. But it's been running for about 20 years in France. People love it in France. <laughs> it's got a more romantic title, hasn't it, in France, isn't it? It's called L'Amour et fields. dans le pré. Yeah, Love in the Fields. L'Amour et dans le pré. Yeah. It's, it's just slightly more romantic than Farmer. It's a bit transactional, isn't it? Farmer wants a wife, <laughs> like Farmer yeah. wants a cow. You know, it's... it's um, yeah. It's not very romantic. Uh, my sister married a farmer, actually, uh, not as a result oh, well, of uh, that show, but uh, she managed to find one. He's six foot six, so he was not not easy to avoid, really. Anyway, uh, that's marvellous. It's time for rumours, a, a new and exciting part of the show, which is hopefully going to be a regular feature, and we call it rumours. Um, and just uh, quickly, we haven't got an enormous amount of time left, but um, we've been talking about uh, the banning of TikTok, haven't we, Maureen? Oh well, 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 we have, but 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 more importantly, Scott Galloway, my gosh! So uh, yeah, so he he he's big news this week, uh, as as we know, we are big fans of Scott Galloway. He's moving to London. We'll have to have him on the London. podcast. We need to invite Scott Galloway to our media beats. I, I don't know if explain how podcasts work. You case. don't have to be in the same city. What? Yeah, well, that's fair. That's fair. It helps that's if they're true. in the same time, same the time, time zone. It needs yeah. to be the same time zone. But Scott Galloway, Scott Galloway was on stage uh, last week and uh, and said uh, in in no uncertain terms, TikTok needs to be banned. Full stop. Period. Yes. Actually, he said period. Yeah, not full stop. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I'm not as big of a fan of Scott Galloway as you are, Maureen, because I think he's very big on big announcements with no data to prove it. In fact, I'm surprised <laughs> you like him so much because you are very much all about you know proof and data. But I this is another example when like when he was talking about YouTube. 
the, I, from what I understand, his whole point and the sort of controversy around TikTok is that the Chinese are, are, are spying on us through TikTok. And that is most likely true. Uh, but it's also, and we've talked about this in the in the show, surveillance economics. It's not like the others aren't spying on us too. Everybody's spying on us. I mean, ways which I'm used for navigation was originally developed by the Israelis before being sold to Google. So both the Israelis and the Americans are spying on me when I'm driving around, which is not at all for, uh, worrying. And you know, every time I open my iPhone, Apple is spying on me. Uh, and in fact, I even said, yes, I'm okay with Apple spying on me when I, when I agreed to the terms and conditions of my phone. So the idea that it's worse because it's the Chinese or that we should ban TikTok but leave the others up, I find slightly hypocritical. hypocritical. It doesn't mean that I don't believe that TikTok is a way for the Chinese government to gather information because I'm sure that's partly true at least. But then everybody else is doing it. <laughs> No denying TikTok's a fantastic product, uh, um, yeah. But I think I agree with 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 with, uh, with what Chris says. Uh, just, I, I like Scott Galloway because he's noisy yes. and he creates events around uh, around himself, and he's always very topical. So I listen to him avidly for those reasons. No, and he's but, good value. Yes, he's good value. I think he's good, I think it's good value. But do I agree with some of his assertions? Absolutely, absolutely not. Not all of them. And in fact, I have my own inspiration book. Uh, by Scott Galloway. It's a notepad. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Very good. I always find it before, I know we're, we're running out of time, but just I, I, uh, I always find it interesting when I watch something, either on TikTok or on Instagram, if I watch a video for more than 10 seconds and then suddenly I'm on completely another part of the internet and an, uh, and an ad will show up for whatever I was watching. And I don't know where, how the information that's transited and through whom, but it, it does work. So, yeah, there's, um, there's definitely something there. It could also be quite a blunt instrument, can't it? I mean, I remember yeah. I bought a lawn aerator for my father-in-law, and that would be the first and only time I buy a lawn aerator. And it's remarkable how many websites that sell lawn aerators I've been attracted to. So sometimes I think the algorithms aren't quite as sophisticated. I suppose the thing about people like Scott Galloway is you might believe them or you might not believe them, but they're a provocateur and make you think about things and um, make your own mind up using data. I'm very glad to hear uh, you you're saying, Claire. The other quick one we had on our rumours list was the CNN morning show um, as, a, as a way to c- cement them as a sort of uh, uh, confirm them as a serious news agency is there space for another morning show in your opinion maureen um so, so yeah I, I i saw that and, I, and and it's interesting because it's a series of uh, messages are coming out of the cnn with their new owners um uh, uh warner brothers discovery uh and of course we've been speaking about cnn and following cnn for the last few weeks on our podcast you know with the with the closure with a very swift closure of CNN Plus, uh, and then a ver- variety of other sort of uh, 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 things that uh, David Zaslav has uh, closed, uh, I-, I think it's interesting. I mean, Don Don Lemon is uh, is and 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 Kathleen, um, uh, oh, the newscaster Catherine Kathleen, uh, who is a big uh, uh, Washington D.C. Um, a journalist, a very serious journalist. I've I followed her for the last five six years, and she's followed Trump. And Trump uh, has always uh, 
you know, hated her. And I I use that word, um, I don't like that word, but I use that word because he does seriously, seriously hate her. Um, I I think it's an interesting move because they move from prime time uh, to the morning morning slot. And I think it is to really reinforce the fact that CNN is a serious news organisation and wants to move away from the sort of anchor-led, opinionated, opinionated, um, uh, services, uh, which, which which is kind of sort of developed with Cuomo, Jake Tapper, uh, Don Lemon, um, Anderson's show, and I think they kind of think that, that now is the time to get back into that morning slot, irrespective of whether or not there's competition. There is strong competition for the morning slots, uh, but that's kind of I think the direction of travel for CNN. It's also a very old-fashioned decision. It's going back to the to the schedule. It's going back to, and you know, it probably follows the viewers. Viewers, we know that viewers of news channels are older and older and older, and they probably still watch morning shows. And so, I suspect that's part of the decision as well. But it's it's the opposite of CNN Plus going to a morning show. It's you know saying we don't care about the streaming. People wake up and they want the news, and we will be there to give it to them. Uh, so it's an interesting move from there. I have a rumor about ESPN, but I'm going to not tell you, and we will uh, be because we need to save some for the rumors for the next episode and it's it's it can keep uh so yes i will make no more fantastic okay well let's keep rumors it's it's i think it's been a massive success this rumors uh slot so let's keep that one and move on quickly to long and short um i'll just start with you claire and megan markle oh i'm going to go long i think i don't know yes long Okay, Maureen? Uh, short. I think she'd be sent to the airport as quickly as she landed. <laughs> wow, controversial. Short. But it's nice that you disagree uh, for once. Yeah. Um, Hugh Edwards, uh, let's go Maureen. Oh, isn't he just wonderful? Yeah, I think he did a great... <laughs> I'm like my mother. <laughs> I think he did a great service. <laughs> Sorry, a great service for, for the, the, the morning of the Queen, you know, and um, uh, uh, long, long. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was Don't wonderful. Just... <laughs> I, I'm going to say long, but I think this last week has fully cemented him as a living legend. It's interesting. I don't think he was before last week and now he, I mean, you know, he was very famous and he had that, but now he is forever this sort of father of the nation kind of thing. Uh, also, his uh, Welsh accent got stronger and stronger with each minute. So I'm trying to see whether it's going to stay that strong or he's going to go back to received pronunciation. There is something about the Welsh accent uh, on a sombre occasion as the Queen <laughs> takes her last journey down there. Sorry, I've gone a bit... Um... I think I'm kind of it's Hugh off Edwards. Yeah. Hugh <laughs> I'm sounding a bit more like Richard Burton. Um, let's yeah. try morning shows, Claire. Morning shows, uh, I think, are short, to be honest, long term, if, if I may say so. <laughs> short, long terms. Maureen? Uh, long, long, long. I'm going to just be contrarian. <laughs> I like that. There's a lot of, dis, um, a lot of disagreement, actually, I, I quite like. It's always good yeah. for viewing. Uh, viewers, or sort of listeners, I should say. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. There is, yeah. I and mean, we're going to talk about viewing habits in the next app with mm. those reports that we've been absorbing. David Beckham. Uh, Claire. Long. I quite liked his PR stunt at the funeral. I thought it was quite clever. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with long. Maureen? Uh, short, because uh, <laughs> uh, this is anecdotal. Most people I've spoken to is like, oh, that 
they were irritated by that because they saw it as oh, a PR sure. stunt. They saw yeah. it as a PR stunt, which I don't it's like. It's funny, a isn't PR it? Stunt. So a PR stunt is a is a distinct disadvantage if it's recognised as such. I think mm. he was all right, and poor old Holly and Phil. I mean, what, what are they expected? What are Word, they expected bad to do? timing. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, Twitter slash Elon Musk? Oh, uh, I'm going to go with long on. I'm very very positive this this. I feel like I've only said long since the beginning. Uh, yeah, long. Long. It seems like I don't know why. It feels like it's all dying down. This craziness, and maybe Twitter will be okay. I'm short on Elon now. It's just too crazy. Maureen, Twitter. Uh, I, 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 I'm short because uh, yeah, I think I think the decision, the board has basically said now you must buy us, Elon. Uh, um, get out of that. Uh, uh, but but I I still reckon that Twitter does not have a good strategic plan, and I don't think it has a C-suite that really knows what to do with Twitter. So I'm short on Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk, I'm long. I'm quite surprised you say that about, about Twitter because it's like part of part of the uh, uh, part of the fabric of the internet now, as if it's got to exist because everybody uses it so much. But Yeah, but it's true what Maureen says. They have terrible, well, they don't have great management right now. I'm going to measure my words. Uh, it doesn't feel like they have a very strong management right now. And I think the question is, can they out? Can they outlive their management? That's going to be the decisive factor. If they can, if they can outlive their management and get a new team in place that really takes them to the next level, then then they should be fine. Uh, but right. th- th- don't forget, Oliver, just to stay with Twitter just for that one, one second. Uh, uh, I agree with you. It is very much part of the, the DNA of our, you know, um, you know, uh, town square. It really is. You know, we talk, we, we use Twitter all the time, but, but it has to make money in order to survive. And that's the problem. It doesn't know how to make money. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Di- uh, interesting dilemma that it's something that you can't imagine not being there now. And yet, yes, it is an organization. So therefore, it does need to make money or at some point it will die. Well, that brings us to the end of a bumper edition. We've covered all sorts of stuff. Uh, so we've covered failed mergers. We've covered advertising on our beloved Apple. We've uh, d- uh, we've we've talked about a new innovation in how to uh, deliver content and the cycle of fashion with regard big budget drama and factual entertainment we've also laid at the altar of scott galloway and done a, a pretty comprehensive long short as well uh, next time we're here we have um, a couple of reports that we've been um, studying which we haven't got time the the midas research which talks about viewing habits in the uk um, and together with the uh, samba state of viewership report which covers the same in the us so we'll be studying that in a lot of detail next time but for now we are over time uh, and therefore i have to say goodbye to you claire goodbye and goodbye to you maureen goodbye and i'll see you both next time i look forward to it have a wonderful time see you soon bye-bye